This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is May 10th. We're recording in the studio. And the markets today were down. Dow Jones was down just as clip, but uh, NASDAQ was down 2.55%. You also saw the VIX increase by 17.80%. Treasuries were up, uh, both the 10-year, but also, um, you know, the Bund has been making a rally. So at some point, we might be seeing uh, positive uh, German notes. But that's really, really what I got for the intro. Uh, Grant, let's talk about anything that might be happening. Well, I think we have to talk uh, the I want to play some sad music right now, but the split of Bill and Melinda Gates, also uh, known as Belinda, <laughs> uh, really going to have a big impact if we think about them having the the largest foundation. So it's a 50 billion endowment that they have really focusing on equality, water, clean energy and seeing how they move forward. The, the split, I guess it's been happening or been talks for, for a while, but considering the impact that that the foundation had on the COVID response, working with underdeveloped nations to help with the vaccine rollout uh, and testing. So it, it is a juggernaut in that space. Also, the giving pledge that that they said, well, they'll give billions of dollars of their family wealth away. Uh, got Warren Buffett on board with that. So I, I think people are waiting to see how that divorce settles. Yeah. One thing I'll mention in terms of what happened today um, is we saw Katie Woods or Kathy Woods ARK Innovation ETF that fell to a new low for the year. We talked about this a few weeks back, um, but, you know, the ARK Innovation Fund dropped 5 percent today. uh, And it's actually the ETF is down nearly 35 percent from its most recent high, which was on February 16th uh, when they were trading at a little over $159 a share. Uh, Really, there's just been a series of short-term rallies that have begun to, you know, fade quite substantially over the last three months. Uh, And that's what we're seeing. So, you know, a lot of the positions across the board were down. Tesla was down um, over 6% today. Teladoc Health dropped over 6%. Uh, We saw Square and Roku fall um you know square fell seven percent and then roku fell almost five percent so yeah so uh, a lot of their fund has been getting hammered um with that we are definitely in the heart of earnings uh we've had a lot of reports come up with uh cvs health was one of them um the pharmacy benefits management company earned 2.04 dollars per share in the first quarter uh consensus estimates were $1.72 per share. And revenue is also above uh, Wall Street forecasts as well. So that's one one, um, stock that's that's looking solid. The majority of stocks seem to be beating expectations and and especially the the industries and the the sectors that have the pharmacy and healthcare are the ones that seem to be leading the way. Also tech, really the ones that were able to uh, turn a profit and, and their uh, 
innovation was really helpful during the lockdown and the pandemic seemed to be rising the most. Also, if you think about uh, companies usually beat earnings expectations, especially now with companies foregoing their expectations last year about earnings. We are seeing that analysts have taken more of a, a conservative outlook on their estimates. And I think we're continuing to see that as earnings roll out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's been a couple outside, um, you know, the tech and healthcare space that have done well as well. Uh, you know, Avis Budget Car um, was is one exception. Uh, they lost 36 cents per share in the first quarter. Uh, but then you've seen companies like Under Armour um, do pretty well as well. But additionally, <clears throat> really what we've seen is, um, you know, Private payrolls, um, when we're looking at that, um, they saw, you know, some 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 gains in April, but uh, short of their expectations. Grant, how about we talk about that a little bit? Well, if we if we look at the uh, jobs for April, it looks like we were just shy of the forecast um, beating it. And then really the main growth still seems to be the leisure and hospitality. It, it, there's no real surprise there since that was the sector that was hurt the most during the pandemic uh, lockdown. So we saw the growth there uh, with new positions, uh, but really we're still 3 million shy of where we were before the pandemic. So we are adding jobs, but, and I think we'll continue to see that as we are continuing to see relaxation of the restrictions moving forward. Uh, but it's good to see that we, we are still moving forward with, with adding jobs. Yeah, so March was a really good month um, in terms of job creation. Unemployment fell to 5.8% from 6% in in March. Uh, April was definitely very sluggish. Uh, The unemployment report actually stunned investors um, when employers added just 266,000 jobs to the payrolls uh, last month. And, you know, it had been a million expected by economists. you know, there's there's a lot to make of that. Demand is obviously not down. You're looking at the National Federation of Independent Business. Uh, they had a record number of 44% of small business owners reported that they had job openings in um, April. And that number of job postings is actually 24% above pre-pandemic levels. So that leads to a broader conversation. Uh, is it time to start cutting back on some of these unemployment benefits. Uh, Our state, Montana, has already done that, um, but I'm sure there's going to be more of that follow. And if you look at the companies that are adding, so companies with uh, more than 500,000, or sorry, 500 employees led the way, uh, but then small businesses with 50 or less employees were were right there, almost the same amount, and then also medium-sized firms. So it looks like it's spread across the board, and it is good to see that small businesses and medium-sized firms are continuing to add jobs as well. Mm-hmm. We're also looking at huge spikes in prices, uh, namely steel and lumber. Uh, I mean, last year, American Steel was certainly, you know, in a very tough time. There's, you know, shutdown of production plants. Uh, you know, obviously steel and, and lumber are one of the first things to go during a contraction, you know, as there's less, less, less building and construction going. Uh, but now that the reopening of the economy is really driving a steel boom, um, Bank of America thinks it's, you know, going to be short-lived. They're calling it a bubble 
but um but yeah uh it's definitely steel is definitely on the lookout and and warren buffett had some pretty strong comments about steel as well well if you look at it after last year botting them out at about 460 uh, dollars per ton then right now it's sitting at about 15 for a ton uh really a record high nearly triple the 20-year average so that does signal a bubble we are seeing u.s techs uh or uh, steel stocks on fire <clears throat> and really I, I think that makes sense because if you think about the america's steel mills they really need to be renovated and then steel inventories rapidly shrank um, and then we also did have the tariffs. Um, so we, we continue to have tariffs on, on steel that had an impact on there. They are, steel is usually a vulnerable commodity in downturns because, uh, as you said, we don't have people, the, the demand isn't there, but seems like there was this year with people continuing to buy a lot of cars and also uh, the, the housing, which we'll get into in a little bit. And that also has a direct impact on lumber because we have seen lumber prices also uh, at at all time high, as we saw sawmills shut down, so lumber production uh, was was bracing for a housing slump that never really happened. As we've seen, the U.S. housing market continue to just skyrocket. Yeah, I mean, in terms of steel, like you had Phil Gibbs, who's a director of metals equity research, uh, Key Bank Capital Markets. Uh, he kind of gave the analogy that what we're seeing in steel right now would be like one hundred seventy dollar a barrel oil. So at some point, people are going to be, I'm taking the bus. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, you know, we, we might very well be in a very frothy um, steel um, steel market. But, yeah, as you say, uh, the same thing is true as a lumber. Um, new homes could cost, you know, $36,000 more because of the lumber shortage we're seeing. Uh, so, yeah, you have just raw materials that are, looking increasingly expensive. Well, we saw futures on lumber increase by more than 500% since April of 2020. Uh, and really, home builders are, are trying to meet the surging demand but can't find the materials. And right now, they are able to pass that on to the, the end client or the, or the purchaser. But there's going to be a point similar to steel where uh, people are going to say, I, I no longer can, they get priced out of the market, which I think we, we may continue to see here. Um, but lumber is, is, is a big one. And we're, we've seen that with, with the rise in the housing prices. Um, again, the tariffs have also had an impact on there where some people are calling uh, for the tariffs with, which, with Canada, which we saw go into effect in April 2017. Uh, that were 24%. And then late last year, they were dropped to 9%. Some people are calling for the Biden administration to get rid of those tariffs so we can uh, increase our lumber supply. Yeah. The medium sale price of existing homes in March went up 17.2%. Uh, median homes now $329,100. That's actually the highest since the National Association of Realtors began tracking these prices going back to 1999. Um, so... So yeah, it's 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 a hot market. It's frothy. Um, sawmills, like you say, can't keep up with demands. And yeah, I, I think you're gonna have definitely a reevaluation on a lot of tariffs that have been put in place by the last administration. Um, right, you know, right now, considering where where raw materials are, rightfully so. Let's uh, change gears here, Drew, and let's talk about Apple. They've been in the news a lot recently. First, with their uh, dispute with Facebook over privacy. 
But now we're seeing a different tack from Apple. They're committing $430 billion to U.S. investment uh, over the next five years. Today, Apple supports more than 2.7 million jobs across the country with direct employment, various suppliers and manufacturers. They're also the largest taxpayer in the United States, paid almost uh, $45 billion in domestic corporate taxes over the last five years alone. Uh, we've seen them inve- going to invest in North Carolina. Uh, I believe they're also building a, a campus down in, in Texas and Austin, I believe. Uh, Drew, what's your take on how Apple may be leading the charge in helping with the infrastructure in the United States? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you can't really understate uh, how aggressively they're both, you know, developing their own uh, company, but how they're investing in other communities as well. Uh, you mentioned North Carolina. Apple will establish $100 million to fund and support schools and communities in the greater Raleigh and Durham era. Um, they're also going to be contributing over $110 million in infrastructure spending to 80 North Carolina counties that you know are in serious need. We're looking at broadband. We're looking at roads. They're going to be creating a $1 billion Austin campus. Uh, the picture I was looking at looks very Sim City esque <laughs> So <laughs> I'd like to see a, uh, you know, a, a real life uh, picture. But but yeah, um, but that's not to say, I mean, you know, with Austin and, and Raleigh, Durham are definitely cities in the New South that have been hot, hot in terms of development uh, with tech and, and also just people moving there. But they're you know going to be investing in pretty traditional areas too. Uh, California, they're going to be bumping up their San Diego team to more than five thousand employees by twenty twenty six, making big investments in um, Massachusetts, Colorado, Washington, and and Iowa as well. Um, so so yeah, a lot of it's green energy. A lot of it's just um, trying to support broadband, and a lot of it's they're creating new incubators and new plants and new. Um, big corporate headquarters as well. I think it's fantastic overall. They're re- really creating jobs and investing in the in the US. I mean, if you said 5G, uh, art- uh, artificial intelligence, really creating jobs uh, for the future, uh, I would say. So really trying to create long lasting jobs. And then just to one of the last points, they, they did also looking to be a clean energy leader. So they have a $4.7 billion green bond spend uh, where they're really looking to build up uh, solar and wind projects in Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia. So I, I, how many states have we listed? I mean, they're, they're, they're really mm-hmm. just uh, really is trying to, to spread and, and create jobs in, in local communities across the country. And, you know, a lot of it could be over exuberance, but we, we should mention that they had some pretty strong 2018 hiring commitments, uh, and they met them in several of the cities. They met them in Miami, New York, uh, Pittsburgh, Portland. So, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to see what Apple is what what Apple's doing in all their new initiatives. Um, I mean, one of the big things that can really slow down uh, GDP growth is right now there's a shortage of semiconductors. Um, you know, and Goldman Sachs economist said that for the bulk of 2021. The shortage can translate into an inflationary tax uh, that that would really be rising um, prices. And when we're looking at it, it could be boosting inflation as much as 0.4 percentage points through the rest of the year. So semiconductors and semiconductor um, shortages are, are really something to look at. 
Well, if you think about semiconductors, they only account for 0.3% of U.S. output. But when the actual production, what, what they're used in is 12% of our GDP. So uh, a shortage of there could have big impacts on auto productions, phone production. Really, if you think about semiconductors, they're used in, in so much of the goods that are produced. Um, and so much of the world is interconducted by these semiconductors. So it is really a key commodity when we think about economic activity. And this is kind of the reason why you see markets like South Korea with pretty decent outlooks. You know, they're a major producer of semiconductors uh, in the midst of a pretty significant shortage. So, um, you know, speaking of shortages, uh, let's talk about uh, and really dig into a what has been a hot topic, which is really uh, America waiving the patent protections for vaccines. Uh, it seems like there is a, a lot of people in favor, a lot of people not in favor. Um, Drew, what's your stance on America really waiving the intellectual property? Because historically, we've been a, a protector uh, of that. And um, But right now with the pandemic, Profits are, are really not an intellectual property should not be at the forefront compared to, to the public health. Yeah, I mean, of the 195 or so countries out there, I'd say that 194 might deem the United States government a little bit hypocritical at times. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're always wrong in their hypocrisy. Um, I, I do think that with such delayed rollout in major economies like India, where you're looking at uh, emerging African countries like Kenya, uh, you, you know, if if there is the supply, it's and and you know you're you're running into some vaccine hesitancy in in a lot of places, including ours. If there's a supply and you're fulfilling your citizens' needs, uh, you know, it might be time to open it up a little bit. A lot of these countries I mentioned have you know a lot of manufacturing. Uh, and given the know-how, they could be producing some of this stuff in their plants. Um, I, I do. Internet intellectual property is very important, obviously, but uh, I do think sometimes things like pandemics are, you know, trumpet. Um, it's very much like you can't charge uh, gouging, price gouging, and things like hurricanes and that kind of thing. We we deem it to be. Morally reprehensible. I, I kind of think this is along the same lines. But I think it's a little different uh, strictly because the intellectual property is not really the vaccine, but also the technology to create it. Um, so giving a Pfizer, for example, giving away a lot of their trade secrets could have a big impact on uh, their company moving forward, especially if we think about generic manufacturers could undercut them moving forward. So then does that really incentivize the continued growth of these companies to create these different vaccines um, and and other uh, and other really patented products that that they produce. Uh, it was interesting to see how uh, Germany did, did not go for it, and really what they said is it's not uh, really a protection of intellectual property that's really the problem, but really the bottleneck is. Uh, not because they don't have patents or, or know how to do it, but it's really more the, the supplies needed to create the vaccine. So really the vials, the raw materials, the manufacturing to, to be able to produce it is a bigger issue rather than actual how to create the, the vaccine itself, which I thought was an interesting take on it as well. Yeah, I mean, and they could be right. But um, 
When we're looking at the 700 million vaccines that have been administrated, only 0.2% have so far been in low-income countries. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a long way to go in, in the developed world. And obviously, uh, there there is a need to take care of your citizens first. I mean, that's why you're an elected government beholden to your, to your taxpayers. But uh, th- there are, I think, geopolitical spillover effects where if we don't find a way to remedy some of the crises that are emerging in in potential hotspots that that could create problems for all of us. So. Well, I mean, just take a look at India, the mm-hmm. second largest population, and they're having some serious issues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and anything anything else uh, we should be looking at, Grant? Well, I think a big one that we saw over the weekend is the hackers take down of a major U.S. fuel pipeline, so Colonial Pipeline. Uh, disclosed that it had to shut down due to some ransomware. Uh, I think there's two main points from that. Really, the first one being that uh, this pipeline supplies 45% of the East Coast fuel. So that could have a a big impact on gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel prices. So if we continue to see this pipeline shut down over the next couple of days, we could see higher gas prices. Demand uh, also rises with, with economies opening up. And then uh, I think the bigger point and uh, is really uh, cyber crime really is, is on the rise. It's hard to tell because when companies do get hacked, they usually try and um, not disclose a lot of the information if they actually paid the the ransomware or, or whatever it is. We did just see, obviously, the, the solar wind attacks uh, that, that has been in the news recently uh, and to see how the White House responds to it because we could see we already ha- saw an executive order planning to create new digital safety standards for federal agencies and contractors. Uh, and then I also think that this uh, cyber attack vulnerability uh, was part of the uh, infrastructure spending plan. Um, so really, how is that going to be included? Because there wasn't a lot of specifics around what aspect that would be in the infrastructure. So uh, how we as a nation continue to respond to the growth of these is, is going to be big. One thing I was reading a poll. Um, so, you know, Germany is going to be having some upcoming elections um, in, in September, but the Green Party has really exploded in popularity and in a way that Greens have historically been kind of a governing fringe and, you know, most countries, uh, and Germany is not an exception to this rule, but they've seen huge declines in some of their more traditional parties, you know, the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU, um, the Christian Social Union, CSU, Social Democrats, CPD, uh, so much to the fact that um, Greens may be winning a plurality, which, you know, we've talked about, there's definitely over the last couple of years, uh, you've seen some rightward shifts in a lot of governments, but uh, not happy with the status quo, but then, you know, you're also seeing traditional governing majorities um, kind of on the threat with some of the more traditionally far left groups as well. And, and that's something you're seeing uh, could be have huge uh, ramifications when you're looking just at the scale of the German economy. And it's it's, um, you know, it's really it's key role in the European Union in general. Um, but, yeah, that's that's to be that's to check out obviously over the next few months um with that everybody hope you have a great week and we're out the information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host 
and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.